Hello everyone and welcome to the Lisa Burke Show where each week my guests from Luxembourg or more internationally bring us their wisdom on a whole range of topics. I hope you've all had a wonderful week wherever you're listening from. Now this week my guests include Lieselotte Linsko who is a futurist, founding partner of Future Navigator joining us from Copenhagen. We have architect Carol Schmidt and Kenny Graham, CEO of Tomorrow Street. So welcome to all of my guests. Hello. It's great to have you joining us. But as always, we're starting with Sasha Kio, who is the newsreader from The Sam Steen Show. Always lovely to see you, Sasha. Oh, it's lovely to be here again on a Friday. On a Friday. and But it's the start of your weekend and a, a slight lie-in for you because I know you have such early starts to your morning. <laughs> yeah, especially now. It's it's dark and it's cold dark. at, at 5.30. Oh, I think of you. I think of you. Oh. I do when I see the alarm clock go <laughs> a little bit later than that for me but um, I, I, I I know what it's like to do early shifts and it's very painful in winter months. So the week's news, what's been happening this week in the week's news? I suppose we have to start with that like, high level news and then we'll Yeah, so it's been a heavy week in, in Ukraine as I'm sure everybody knows. Uh, you know, it started off last weekend with the explosions on this bridge uh, connecting Crimea and Russia uh, which was blamed on Ukrainian secret service. Um, we're still not quite clear who, who was actually to blame for it, but obviously Russia and President Putin um, did major repercussions. They've been bombing Kiev again, which is the, f- the first time, and, and other Ukrainian cities. Um, first time air attacks since June 26. So I think people in Ukraine felt that in that part of Ukraine, in Lviv, for example, close to the Polish border, felt that that might not happen again for a while. but They've uh, moved back a bit. and We've moved back totally. Mm, and yeah. and the rhetoric is getting increasingly aggressive on both sides, I'd say. Um, you know, we've had a NATO meeting this week with uh, NATO defence ministers um, promising um, jamming equipment uh, to the Ukrainians, um, saying, you know, uh, the EU had today, uh, no, sorry, uh, yesterday were like, do not threaten us with tactical nuclear missiles. You know, we will annihilate the Russian army. So the rhetoric is really going up again this week. So it's really awful when we hear the word nuclear put into any sentence yes, in this scary, situation. It, it? it becomes to get very worrying indeed. And we have so much in, in other media, actually, about other nuclear stories. I mean, there's a podcast called The Bomb at the moment, actually, for instance. And it, it brings back that period of time and that history. And the fact that a lot of the scientists, even though they were developing it, they didn't ever want it to be used in that way. Not at all. Yes, and yes. so, oh, goodness. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, and on the other side yeah. of the world, you've got uh, North Korea testing um, warheads and cruise missiles capable of holding, uh, carrying uh, nuclear weapons. So I think generally we've kind of seemed to have gone back in time Um where the word nuclear, I mean, we, we grew up with the word that sort of nuclear threat around, but I think it had kind of gone on a back burner and we're, we're back. And I think people are quite scared. It's very sad because I think we grew up in a time where we felt things were getting better. And yes. right now, in so many countries around us, things really don't feel like they're getting better. And of course, we have the cost of living crisis as well. And that's been brought up in the Luxembourg news. Not only the Luxembourg news, of course, but that's a, a major question. Not 
in part, of course, it's caused by the war. We have this complete oil crisis and and uh, natural gas crisis as well. So um, the cost of living and supplies is rocketing, and uh, all sources going on with the markets, etc. So it's rather it's a unpleasant. bit of a gloomy, it's a bit of gloomy outlook, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, even in Luxembourg, I was amazed to read this story of a of a single woman who'd had her gas and uh, electricity cut off because she hadn't paid the bills. And this this I think has caused major upset in in a in a country as as rich as Luxembourg and in a country where the government is is rolling out support you know they they they've put their energy uh, price cap etc and and there was a promise that no one would actually have their heating cut off um, yes. but it did happen um and it was only when a political party went back to the energy supply and said what are you doing this is illegal that they have turned it back on but i suspect it is happening mm. and even in Luxembourg, people are unable to pay pay their bills anymore. As they increase. Yeah, absolutely. Moving to something completely different outside of the realm of Earth, asteroids. Well, this is a great story, isn't it? Oh, yes, I love it. <laughs> so NASA confirmed that they've managed to hit an asteroid, of course. And, um, you know, th- this was a this was an experiment that they were. Well, they had planned it for quite a while. For very a planned time. indeed. <laughs> but it does mean in future that uh, any asteroids, I guess, heading to Earth could could be steered off. Well, there's two parts to it. The first thing is they have to detect them coming towards the Earth. <laughs> they have to be able to kind of see them. And then the second part is they have to be able to try and hit them and deflect them. And they are able to do it. Well, yeah. We now know that they can do they it. They can, which and is amazing. take a photograph. Oh yes, of course. You have to before you before they did it. Uh, this is amazing, isn't it? <laughs> before From the Hubble telescope, they did they did it. And this is what the asteroid looks like. I know, isn't it wonderful? I think it's fabulous. I I also love this story that you have here about spy extradition. <gasps> Who knew what we were hiding here in Luxembourg? It's a super interesting story, and I I'm not sure I will give you the absolutely correct take on it. I don't know if they have the absolute well, correct I, take on it exactly. yet. Exactly. So so um, a Luxembourgish businessman who was living in France was arrested uh, about six months ago for being involved in a in a sort of pyramid scheme crypto scandal in the states, and it seems that all the 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 money lead of this uh, crypto scheme, it was called OneCoin, seemed to go via Luxembourg and somehow involved this businessman uh, called Frank Schneider, who had a a company here, which allegedly was uh, clearing businesses also for people like the EIB, um, you know, checking out whether they were um, companies that you should, they should invest in. Um, So somehow, I don't know how, this, his company has been involved with this crypto scheme where the woman has disappeared and they've lost $4 billion. So it's a massive court case in the States. I'm pretty sure there's been a podcast made about this too. Right, probably. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the French court decided that he will be extradited to the States now. Is and this the Crypto Queen podcast? Yes, she's a crypto queen and yeah. she's disappeared. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I listened to that a while back. Uh, okay, so Amazing how people can disappear, actually. Yes, in the world. How do hmm. they? I don't know. I, I think if you have four billion dollars, you, you can find a way <laughs> to pay your way out. Actually, from memory, because uh, uh, I listened to a lot of podcasts and books and things, and that was a while ago. I listened to that one. I think she was on a ship somewhere. I think that's a way to hide. 
if you're floating around the waters of the world. Oh, right. It's mm. interesting. Who knows? It? Who knows? Well, it, but then the, the story gets more interesting because it turns out that he's not just a businessman who was involved in this money laundering, but he was a spy for the Luxembourg government. Yes. And um, back in the day is... Uh, there was this wiretapping scandal in 2013 um, where the Luxembourg Secret Service were tapping telephones between uh, Grand Duke Henri and uh, the then Prime Minister Juncker about bombings that happened in the 1980s, the Bommelaire affair. And somehow he and two other secret agents were also involved in that. But it did bring down Juncker. Yeah. So... I think there's a lot more to this story. I think this story <laughs> think is... it's really super interesting. Oh, I'd love to interview him, but that probably wouldn't happen. <laughs> I think we might have to go to the States. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's in custody. Um, but, you know, there's layers to it. Like you say, there's so many layers to this. Even, you know, and going back to the Juncker, Henri uh, story, that, that, that in itself is extremely fascinating too. But moving to something... Different again, the University of Luxembourg. We had the Times Higher Education uh, University rankings out this week. and uh, Well, I did. I yeah. thought of you because we've had quite a lot of guests from, from the university and, and especially in the world of, of science and medicine. And um, it, it's moved up. From, it's only 20 years old, the university, yeah. which I'm sure you know. It was founded in 2003 and it's gone up from being in the top 300 to the top 250. So it's very much... On the up. Yeah, um, it's and, moving up and up. And, and up. I was looking at their offers, actually, and there are more and more courses in English. And uh, I'm probably well, speaking to the Carole is a, yeah, a lecturer there. Oh, are you? <laughs> well, yeah, well, I'm a guest professor and I, I did uh, launch a new master, actually, which wasn't uh, at the university when it was started uh, in architecture, indeed. Yeah. Oh, so, gosh. I mean, there are new, new courses launched. I mean, this university is quite new, so a lot of things do happen, indeed. Yeah, yeah, at least if you look uh, in, uh, the speed uh, within which these uh, changes happened, I, I think it's quite a quite a performance. It is, yeah. It is extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah, it's you moving. How long things. universities normally take to get this to move even one or two places? They're moving in the fast. Rankings. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And the facilities are amazing. I mean, everything is just brand spanking new and clean and lovely and gorgeous lecture halls. It's it's a lovely facility. Yeah. And and now we're moving to our final story, which okay, really... This is obviously the most important story <laughs> of the week. This has been a very big story on RTL today, this week. So tell us more. Fat Bear Week. Might not say <laughs> Do anything. Do you know about Fat Bear Week? Don't you don't. <laughs> You're about to learn about Fat Bear Week. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's been an obsession uh, of Meredith's, the, uh, <laughs> the lovely lady who the producer the producer of the, the Samstein show. show. And it's a very clever marketing uh, by the National Park in Alaska who get the public to vote on the fattest bear in their national park. And I think this started off as a small little side interest, but it's really blown up. And so all week we've been looking at pictures of bears thinking either this one's a bit fatter. Oh, I think she's getting uh, because they've got these live cameras. Um, But... There was cheating involved, so you but, could but vote. Scandalous. You could vote <laughs> online, and they detected spam bots that were <laughs> that were kind to get a ballot on one particular bear, bear four three five. I think they're all numbered. Meredith will know that me, yes. a lot of people are quite into the bear numbering. <laughs> yes, and um, but in fact, of course, uh, bear seven four seven is is the champion and. And, you know, at eating 500 pounds of salmon a day, 
we just got obsessed. We got obsessed. We the, the numbers of how much they have to eat before. Are you they go sure it's five hundred pounds of salmon a day? That's what it says. Oh, well, I have to check that because Meredith had in the Not The News quiz this morning ah. a question on how much uh, fish they eat in a summer. And I I, uh, I, I had guessed a very high number and she said, no, no, no. And so, anyway, I have to check the figures. Oh, well, I, I could easily be wrong. No, I'm, I'm sure, I'm I'm sure you're not. Numbers. <laughs> a lot. They eat a lot of fish, put it this yes. way. They eat so a lot of hibernation. fish. So Bear 747 has won it before and he's a, he's a massive bear. He's 635 kilos, apparently. But we were all rooting for a female bear who was a newcomer and we think has is is pregnant <laughs> will, has, has really to put on weight to make sure that she's all right um but anyway i i just love the cheating last week we spoke yeah, about chess the, chess, cheating. the cheating oh. in chess and you're like not nothing nothing is sacred is it it's not dreadful. even fat bear week and i saw a story about uh, cheating in fishing as well yes but, there was a big story yeah. where they were putting lead into the fish Balls to make them heavier into the yeah terrible 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 oh my goodness the things that people will do to win Random competitions. <laughs> <laughs> Not that any of these are random competitions at all, of course. <laughs> but they're, they're a bit of fun, aren't they? Sasha, as always, thank you so much. You're going to stay with us for the show, Absolutely. I hope, and listen to all of the things ahead. And so, as always, thank you for everything you've done this week on news. And I wish you a wonderful, restful weekend. Thank you, Lisa. You too. The Lisa Burke Show. And now I have Lisa Lotta joining us. Now, Lisa Lotta, I think I mispronounced your surname. Lingzo, is that right? Lingzo, yeah. yeah. <laughs> in Danish, it's actually Lungzo, oh. and I have to pronounce. Don't worry about it. Thank you, thank you. Well, just to introduce a little bit further, you're going to be here in Luxembourg next Wednesday for the British Chamber of Commerce's Futuristic Leadership Forum on Leading Towards the Success of Tomorrow. You're one of the top futurists in the world, and I'm so looking forward to this conversation because for those people who might not know what you do, <laughs> I mean, they might be able to guess with the title futurist, but explain what does a futurist do? Well, what we do is really when we've just gone through the news now and we try to look at transformation. So what is noise and what is actually transformation? So in our media picture this week, it has been all about our queen not wanting to give uh, the younger son uh, kids the name of princes and princesses and we haven't seen anything but that, and then you have to go to page three or four to find the future. Uh, so that's really uh, the task of a futurist is to spot which trend are actually having the power to transform the, the way we think, live, behave. I don't know if you remember, but before the pandemic, uh, we had this video going viral with this guy uh, talking to the news and his kids came in and the wife came to pick them up. <laughs> and today we're like, why did we share that? I mean, what's a big deal? Yeah. Uh, so once the future arrives, we don't even think about it. Uh, but my uh, job is really to, to see it beforehand. And, and what I really hope is to get in Luxembourg decision makers to be able to spot future trends themselves because we are living in such turbulent times that it's really dangerous just to let our top uh, politicians to to make uh, to create the future. We all really have to get involved. So if we could get it 
democratized somehow by by training everybody uh, to see what is noise and what is transformation and what to do about it, then I'll be so happy. Well, well, let's start here. So I'm going to um, just take us back a little bit. You started this work in 96, 1996. So you've been doing it for a long time. Have things worked out the way you envisaged? Have you predicted things that have happened? What are your successes and what are the things that didn't work out and that surprised you? Yeah. Uh, so, so starting with the things that did work out. Uh, so, I, I guess it worked for me, but but it wasn't a, a, a good outcome. So, in already in '96, I was working in the European Commission, uh, the Forward Studies Think Tank, and we were doing these scenarios for European integration. And in one of the scenarios, we actually predicted Brexit. Oh my God! And we did that. <laughs> We did that because we could see that the UK already then thought, you know, we have our colonies. We don't really want to be on the same team as the Germans, you know, the losers of the Second World War. Uh, we have our financial headquarters. And so we were saying, OK, red alert. We, we have this scenario where we're going to lose the Brits unless we make sure that we create this strong European identity, because right now they're in it for the money. So so when we use future scenarios, it's not in order to be right. It's oh, really create a kind of early warning. So I guess we were right in predicting, but uh, we failed in actually doing anything about it. So and and that's so so in that sense, it's it's not a great example. What I do like is when uh, people are empowered to actually uh, see that they can change the stuff that is going on in Iran right now with the women daring to to throw off their scarf. I guess that's a, a huge transforming uh, trend right now in that part of the world. And, and we will see if it's uh, going to break into other territories as well, like, for instance, uh, fighting for climate, fighting for other things. But we see a kind of activism going on right now, not only in Ukraine, but it's spreading out. So, so I think that's really a, a recent trend that I'm following very closely is this you can call it the TikTok war, the Insta wars going on right now, where people are communicating with each other and uh, <clears throat> they're inter- interrupting each other's uh, news broadcast in order to help uh, citizens to, to convey their messages. So we're having these hybrid warfare. So uh, in the old days, you know, mm. war was combated by the military. Right now we have the, this, uh, I'm just working for, for the police in Denmark, you have this situation that the government is saying, okay, here is a lot of money for defense, but they don't actually know where to put the money because what is defense in the future? You know, is it protecting our gas pipes or is it the electricity that we need to protect? Is it the Wi-Fi? You know, uh, do we need drones? Do we need uh, submarine drones to uh, patrol our uh, sub-ocean uh, uh, territory? So, so it's it's really interesting from a futurist point of view. It really is. Again, you've tapped on so many things there. I wanted to bring it back to your mention of the activism in the TikTok Instagram world where uh, and you mentioned Iran, of course, and everything that's happening there right now. One of the things that you really care about is the democratization of these choices and thinking about the future and to be involved in our own decision making. Um, so we do live in a world where we can be active. How do you encourage people to be active in a way that helps and doesn't hinder? I, I think it's when I look at the future, I always say interesting, exciting without uh, being political about it. So I I, I, I 
I'm very curious. So, so for instance, um, uh, you can deep fake videos right now, uh, which is terrible. I think in Germany, uh, there was a woman saying, if I get elected, all cats and dogs uh, should be killed. She was from the environmental party and it wasn't her face, you know, she was being deep faked. Uh, so that's terrible. Uh, but then I downloaded the app and I realized that's fantastic. You know, I can film myself in the afternoon. And then when I go on RTL, you know, I can put this fake video on having perfect makeup, perfect hair um, without having to make an effort, you know, very early in the morning. So, so there are many options in this future. But if you immediately go and you get scared, people have a tendency to, to be double scared compared to what they can get. Without saying interesting, exciting, let me have a look at it. We miss out interesting perspectives. So talking about these women in Iran, uh, I really don't understand why they go on live themselves. What we could do is to deep fake one of the dead girls and allow them to speak again. They are already doing that in Mexico. So you have some journalists who were killed by the mafia and they are being revived. That's so, extraordinary. So we can Fighting. We can do extraordinary <laughs> things. Yeah. And, and I think... Uh, what an yeah. impact. What an impact that would have if you see some poor girl in this case who has died, who's coming back to life and being revived. Uh, what a powerful message to the people in power. Exactly. So so we can... So, so I think it's... Um, we have never had uh, so many interesting options at our disposal. Uh, so, so we really need to interact with it and create it rather than binging, if you like. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you end up binging, you just watch what everybody else is doing, the hobbies that they are doing, but you don't get involved. So I think, I think that uh, my, my key message here is really for people to start noticing transformation and then engaging with it. You mentioned that uh, you're working with the government in Denmark and they've got a lot of money to put towards defence. But what is defence, you know, cybersecurity, etc. And you're talking about pipelines and everything else that we're seeing in the news right now. So you have to, again, you said you have to spot the transformation versus the noise that's going on at the moment and sort of predict what's going to happen in the future for these very important decisions that have to be made at the highest level. So what's your process? Let's take the example right now that you're working on of defence with this budget that is there to be used. How do you think about studying the trends and the patterns to figure out how it should best be spent, given that we're living in a geopolitical time which is extremely unsteady as well? Well, OK, it's a great question. It will take me a little bit to explain it, but I'll try. We had the agricultural society, then the industrial society, then the information age. And as I see it, we're moving into this age of precision now. And that means that we're getting ex an extreme amount of data. We have artificial intelligence and we have quantum computing coming. And that's going to give us some complete new epiphanies. And that will be magnified and accelerated because we are in energy shortage, we are in money shortage. So we have to make sure that whatever we do, give a, a max investment. So uh, I'll just give you some, some brief examples. For instance, we're talking a lot about, you were just talking about the university and how is it going. We have data that shows that the most important thing for kids and young people to get higher grades and to do well is the teacher. The teacher is the most important. So if we know that, why don't we 
you know, make an impact around that. Or for instance, that if you take your bike to work rather than taking your car, you actually earn the government two euros per kilometer you take your bike because fewer people will go to hospital, fewer people will create pollution, uh, fewer people uh, will get stress. Uh, and that's the sort of calculations we're going to get. So if you look at defense again, where can we actually make an impact? We have moved from, I think, uh, one bank robbery uh, a day to one bank robbery a year. You just heard about one coin and the crypto queen. That's where uh, a lot of the, the criminals uh, are, are earning their money right now. We have a whole uh, cyber attack venue going on. So what is important here is to really understand where should we put our energy and how do we also create it in a dynamic way so we don't um, pick the winners too early. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for instance, uh, putting all our money into, I don't know, some very expensive drone that uh, when it is supposed to work 10 years from now, we have some drones that are much smarter. It's extraordinary. And just going back to the schools and the importance of the teacher, not only that, but let's think about the curriculum. How ready is the curriculum for tomorrow's society? Again, I think, uh, first of all, uh, we have to learn to learn for the whole life. And if we start looking at data, uh, we're going to shake our heads because the forgetting curve is huge. So when people have a lecture of 45 minutes, they will only remember 2% <laughs> the next day. So already there, uh, we are not really understanding how we work as people. So I'm sure we're going to look back at 2022 and shake our heads and think, God, we were so primitive back then. We didn't even understand that people were extremely dif- different from one another. They understood things in very different ways and they needed completely different actions in order to get motivated. We just treated people in the same way. Luckily, we now see, you know, an increasing understanding of diversity. We have young people who have started to do school hacking. So they leave the established system and they pick together the informations and the skills they need. They start practicing in small groups and they develop amazing things. So, so uh, I'm, I'm very hopeful uh, that we are democratizing uh, the power to create this world, that we are seeing some decentralization of knowledge that we can then act upon all of us. When it comes to making choices ourselves and as we move into this precision age, we have certain people who are really eager to learn all the time and really want to be in control of their choices and their lives. And we have, you know, we have a curve. We have some people who, I think, don't don't care so much and they just want to be told what to do. They want an easier life or decisions to be made for them, which I suppose is where our government net comes into play. So how can we think about the whole of society and change behaviours as a whole, to improve lives? When I say precision age, it, it doesn't mean that it's a tiny area. It actually is using data to create a much more holistic picture, uh, looking around the whole thing. So, for instance, if you say, Lisa, oh, I want to work from home five days a week, my precision data is going to tell you, uh, or your digital twin, which you're going to have on top of your head, other people who are doing that, sorry to say, they won't be able to onboard young people. They won't be able to uh, get the knowledge they didn't know. They didn't know they couldn't live without. So they're ending up in a huge feedback crisis. So staying at home uh, all the time is really bad for you. 
Um, so a, a great example, if you ask a student how they want to live while at university, they all say, oh, I want my own kitchen, I want my own bathroom. But when you see who's getting the higher grades and who's actually hanging on to the university, it's the people who share the kitchen. So, so I think it's very important to stress that we should not sub-optimize by just listening to our inner uh, driving, but, but we really have to design around creating communities and, and caring communities at that. Oh, that, that is so fascinating about our society and how we live. I'm, I'm actually going to move to Carole now, and I'm quite sure once I've spoken to Carole for a couple of minutes, there'll be so much more overlap here. Carole Schmidt is an architect at the Administration des Bâtiments Publics, managing large-scale public projects on behalf of the state of Luxembourg, was also a guest lecturer at the University of Luxembourg for four years and introduced their master in architecture. She founded Polaris Architects, has been nominated, exhibited, published in local and international national media and has been responsible for the Petite Maison at the University of Luxembourg. So I know we didn't talk about it, Lieselotte, but of course, the way we live, I'm quite sure is something you look at. So, Carole, in the field of architecture, what have you seen the trends becoming? Well, it actually connects very much what we have heard uh, today. I mean, the Petite Maison is a project which tries to create actually community for a certain amount of time on the question of circularity in in in, in construction. Um, in 2007, we had uh, a cultural capital in Ash already at that time, and there was a huge and very fascinating exhibition which was called All We Need. It was about uh, the question on waste. And at that time, I think uh, the greater uh, population realize that actually all our resources are finite or most of them at least and and the, the ones that are renewable need actually finite resources you know to be reproduced in a way so that time it was a, a, a moment of, of understanding that we have actually problem uh, in the way that we are living today uh, but there were no real kind of solutions uh, provided at that time uh, at least on, on the ground uh, so in 2020, uh, 2019 when ASH 22 which uh, um, opened their calls I decided to initiate this project of Petite Maison on behalf of the university actually to test and eventually address uh, possible solutions on circularity I should actually say I mean, most people will know, but petite maison means small house. Oh, sorry. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't say that myself, actually. So, yes. Sorry. Carry on, Carol. No, no problem. Well, we called this project petite maison because what we did um, over the time is we de- developed a small construction. It, we call it petite maison because it's just sitting in front of Maison du Savoir. Because as you know, maybe in Belleval, we have a series of buildings uh, which are uh, occupied by the university and they all are named maison. Maison du Savoir, Maison de l'ingénieur. So these are all houses, but very, very big, actually. So uh, this project was uh, uh, kind of also... uh, a little joke in addressing that sometimes this scale doesn't really matter so much. So we kind of proposed an experience which is more like a petri dish experience where we try to see on a very, very small scale what it could mean if we would provide to a community which is composed by very many different people. So we had researchers from research centers such as LIST, we had people from the university, we had students being involved, so institution, Lux Innovation, and but also uh, many companies, 40 in, in total, 
people of, of Luxembourg and the greater region, uh, which all helped in, in nature actually to make this project happen. And uh, through this experience of very many different people um, with very uh, different backgrounds, uh, but trying actually to make this world a better place through this uh, a, a small experience and eventually sharing it within uh, their own organizations. Yeah. And I have actually seen it and it's wonderful. Of course, we've also had a fairly recent Netflix series on small houses, which many people have watched and enjoyed and thought, my goodness, you can put so much into a small house the way you rearrange it. When it comes to Luxembourg, I was speaking to another broadcaster this morning and they said their friend had a small house, but there's no regulation in Luxembourg at the moment for this. For small houses? Yes. Um, I don't exactly understand your question. What type of regulation are you looking for? You mean? Are you uh, allowed to have a small house on uh, a piece of land? On a piece of land, yeah. Well, um, you know, construction is highly regulated indeed, but not only in Luxembourg. I mean, uh, usually in any country, wherever you go, you need to have a permit actually to build anything. Um, also, even a, a small house for a garden house, let's say. You know, usually you can't just build on the construction site, whatever you like. You always need to comply to regulations. And these indeed are sometimes formulated in a certain perspective, you know, on the general uh, planning issues of that particular city. So you cannot just do whatever you like. It's not possible. No, indeed, that's that's correct. Yeah. <laughs> you work in a, a very curious country in a way, Luxembourg, given a, a finite amount of land mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and wonderful forests as well, which I hope they don't keep cutting down because I love the forests. Um, and of course, we have a housing crisis here in Luxembourg. What do you think about, you know, when you're designing and you have this architecture company? I mean, what are the things that people come to you with? And what is your overriding thought when you look at Luxembourg as a whole? Yeah, well, the housing problem in Luxembourg is really is really a big, big issue, you know, and it it really is um, directly in relation to the price of the of the land. So there's a real uh, state uh, problem, actually, uh, where the land is so expensive that actually the houses that we put on top of it, they are just, you know, the, the value is much less than the ground. That's uh, And that's a problem, you know. And that's where also the circularity and the resource uh, issue comes in. Because if we really um, do pay respect to the resource that we actually are using, those actually construction is getting much higher today, you know, due also to the energy crisis is of course so to produce the resources we you know we need, we need energy I mean it, it's 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 lifting the prices a lot I mean concrete should double the price from January on for instance just to know so this is really a huge resource for construction especially in Luxembourg so I mean um, all the, the people that would like to construct in future which should know that actually this um, relationship between the land price and the and the construction on top will change and maybe for good you know maybe this will be actually a good uh, transformation even if the transition will be quite painful for many people, um, unfortunately. Well, we all wait with bated breath. I I dare not even mention the housing crisis in Luxembourg because it's so painful to so many of of the international people who come here and really want a home and haven't been lucky enough to buy land 20 years ago or so. Well, it was still expensive, apparently. Now, you've mentioned a couple of times the circularity in construction. And I know from speaking to a few other people as well, as you said, I think it's about only 3% of things are reused when it comes to deconstructing at the moment. So what moves have you seen to to improve that? Yeah. 
Well, I think they are. Uh, it's completely under construction. I mean, uh, there needs to um, be a new paradigm in construction being launched, actually, in the industry of construction. So to 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 be to be sure that all the materials that we bring in in the in the buildings uh, after a certain time uh, when transformation has has to be done, the, the materials can be extracted, you know, and be reused. So in the older times, it already happened, you know. Uh, formerly, you would have a, a building, and then a company would come and deconstruct the materials and put them on site and people would come and buy them actually and rebuild you. So that's how you find stones uh, sometimes 100 kilometers away from where they have been uh, actually uh, in, in the first place. So and that is something that we have to kind of reinvent. So I think that technology can help us indeed uh, with this transformation on on creating data, uh, data uh, um, platforms also to provide the necessary insight into what is already there, you know, because the reasons that are already in the buildings uh, it's just not known that what we do have what we can what can be reused you know so this could help but it's it's not the only way i mean there needs to be a general move in mentality as well so that people also understand that by reusing old materials like reusing old uh, clothes in a way um it's not a kind of a, a drop uh, in in, this, in 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 terms of society or social wealth it, it, it's just a good way actually to you know to get access to these resources and uh, that one can do wonderful things with it and I think uh, today still people like to have a white walls a very clean uh, under brackets modern uh, house if they can afford it uh, uh, and, and everything is hidden so we bring in today lots of materials in our houses which are actually not necessary so we should try to bring in high value materials which can be reused and limit the amount that's uh, most probably the kind of general message then well I can see lots of nods from Lizalotta on my screen here. I'm sure you've seen this trend as well. Yeah, I know. I just maybe in, in terms of the sharing, uh, we have this project with tiny houses in Denmark where um, old people uh, or one old person is uh, teamed up with one foreigner. And this old person is teaching the person to speak, the foreigner to speak Danish about Danish culture. And the foreigner lives there for free in return for helping out with shopping, uh, creating a social life, and, and it's just a match made in heaven, really. Uh, and it's all within this tiny housing community. So trying to solve uh, different uh, issues around loneliness and integration. That's That story is literally giving me goosebumps, actually. It's so lovely because, uh, yeah, it's the loneliness that's just screaming out at me there and how to solve that problem as well, a societal problem. And speaking about that, and you both spoke about communities, actually, you're also a lecturer, Carol, at the University of Luxembourg. What trends have you seen in architecture? And when I say that, I don't mean just the buildings, but the community setting. Yeah, yeah. Well, um in Luxembourg, the, the community of students that uh, I'm teaching to is very diverse. I mean, it's really great. Uh, the people, they come from all the continents. So we have people from Africa, from Northern America, from from India, from Asia. I mean, in general, and Europeans as, as well, from the East, from the West. So this makes a whole bunch of very colorful uh, people. Um, but um, the, I think the biggest challenge, and uh, which really fascinates me, is to create a common ground of values, you know, to project. Uh, and that's a really... 
uh, I mean, it's highly interesting, but it's also very, very difficult, you know, because all these people come, they already, in this case, in, in, in terms of uh, architecture studies, they already have a bachelor. So they have already been trained in, in some way, but uh, very often they do not share necessarily common ground. Uh, so if we uh, talk about uh, democracy, democracy or, you know, kind of um, a social way of thinking eventually, I mean, some people just do not know what it means. You know, they come from countries where they are under the dictatorships or kind of very different political systems. Uh, and, and so how, how do we combine and what are actually the right values to, to be put forward? You know, and that's the big, big challenge in, in education at large, but in particular in architecture as well, because it's based, uh, it's embedded in, in, in culture. You know, so what I personally try to do in, in the trends is actually to uh, connect architecture to, you know, the world of the cinema, for instance, or the world of uh, fiction in general. Because architects, you know, they, they plan, they project things which do not exist of yet. So um, they have to be very skilled into into storytelling, you know, into conveying ideas, you know, to kind of federating people from very different backgrounds, you know. That's what I personally try to, you know, to convey. Yeah. It's amazing to hear that and that link to the future because, of course, when you're building something, those projects take time. In, in a different way, you're doing what Lisa Lotta does. Yes, of course, I, I feel very connected to you. I'm not futurist at all. You know, I really... But you are a futurist, that's the point. Anyway, actually, yeah. you are. I actually, maybe I'm an actor of yours that you would like, uh, you know, to, <laughs> to promote. I hope so. I try my best, at least. <laughs> uh, absolutely. And I want to now bring in Kenny, who is more on the technical side of things. So just to give everybody an introduction to Kenny. Kenny Graham has been CEO of Tomorrow Street here in Luxembourg since July 2019. You arrived just before COVID came along and then you were in hibernation, a bit like the big bears for a while, like all of us. So Tomorrow Street, for anyone who doesn't know, is a joint venture between Vodafone Group, a global telecoms business and Technoport Luxembourg's technology business incubator. It's focused on attracting innovative young tech companies and tech talent to Luxembourg and scaling up their technology across Vodafone's ecosystem. So, Kenny, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm looking forward to listening to your accent. So hopefully people can learn where you're from because it's one of those beautiful luscious lyrical accents from from where precisely uh, near glasgow in scotland so <laughs> an accent hasn't changed at all over the years i've not lived there for quite a long time um but maybe a little bit slower just to make sure people can understand me. I can but, tell uh, that you're speaking slowly. <laughs> I am indeed. Well, Kenny, it's great to have you here. And I want you to tell us all about the Arch Summit, which is coming up here in two weeks' time. It is. In fact, two weeks today, we'll just be recovering uh, after a couple of amazing days. So, um, so yeah, Arch Summit is um, it's a tech event that brings together people from the corporate world, from the startup scale-up world, uh, from government and investors uh, to, to engage in technology themes and uh, explore new business opportunities. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a going to be an exciting couple of days. Tell us some of the speakers that you have on board. Yeah, so we've got, I should say we've got three three stages of content and then we've got a lot of exhibitions. We'll get to that in a moment. But uh, some of the speakers we have, uh, first of all, from, from Luxembourg, we have Minister Fayot, who's, of course, the Minister of Economy and Minister of Humanitarian Affairs, which we're really excited about. Um, we have the group CEO of Vodafone. Vodafone, for those not familiar, is a big global business operating in over 20 markets around the world. So delighted that the, the group CEO is going to be coming and talking about Vodafone's purpose, um, which we're really excited about. Um, we have, just stop me when you get bored of this, Lisa, but we also have uh, Sophia Kiani, uh, who's a young climate activist um, and the youngest member of the UN's Youth uh, Climate Organisation. 
we have Raina al Lubi, who is uh, an AI thought leader. Um, also wrote the book Girl Decoded, which was about her journey from being a young Egyptian woman to being a, a CEO of a tech company. So she's going to be fascinating. Um, we have Patricia Athu. Uh, she's a, a really established, strong leader uh, in Africa. So she'll be talking about where, how she's helped improve lives through her business world and personally uh, as well. And then our other big guest speaker is Greg Williams, who's the editor-in-chief of Wired, a big, a big tech magazine. So yeah, we're really excited to have them all join us. Well, when you thought I was getting bored, I was actually just writing down a word. <laughs> I was writing down the word purpose, yeah. which connects with what you said, Carol, which is that when you're thinking about architecture, you, you find this federation between the students, a common ground of values. And I love hearing this because it, it's really making me think that, you know, in such diverse lines of work, you're actually bringing it right down to how do people think, how do people live, what do they want from life and, and the purpose, of course, yeah. which is so important for everybody in their working lives. Uh, now, you are also, as as part of Tomorrow Street, you're dealing with people who are thinking about the future all the time. Mm-hmm. So to bring back in Lisa Lotta's work here, how do you do that? How do you think about what's going to work in the future? Uh, it's well, it's it's a process. Uh, I mean, one you you gotta you gotta set a strategy. You gotta understand the trends, the themes that are going on. I, I work um, to advance technologies uh, in in Vodafone. I work to attract young companies to to Luxembourg as well. So really, for us as a business, we we understand what are the big strategic priorities for Vodafone. What are the big strategic priorities? Uh, technology strategic priorities for Luxembourg and then we aim to attract companies that we think can address uh, those priorities so but let's just put you know Vodafone aside as yeah. as an example of a, you know great big telecoms company um, when a company of that ilk of that size is thinking about the future and yeah. which innovative companies to to onboard yeah. you're always taking a gamble but a calculated strategic gamble as to we think this will work because where does that because come from where are you finding that data so if i can come back to purpose for a second because it kind of starts there i mean for for vodafone not for for many big corporates (laughs) any big any big company you you have you have to have purpose now you have to have purpose if you really want to add value in the world and also if you want to recruit people the people are deciding where they work now on on the value of those companies so it all starts with purpose um and, you know, I'm very fortunate. I've, you know, our shareholders are Minister of Economy through Technopore and Vodafone. Both are um, ambitious uh, shareholders, if you like, but their values are very similar. So, for example, just coming back to art for a second, there's three key themes. One is around digital society. Another is inclusion and another is planet. So, so it starts there, right? So if you really want to advance digital society, uh, you need to think about the technologies that can do that. If you really want to help people access technologies uh, that they don't have access to today, you need to find the right uh, technologies and companies that can do that. If you really want to save the planet, you've got to go out there and find the right technology. So it actually starts with purpose. Then you set your technology strategies and then you go hunt down the best young companies or big companies that can address those. Well, I loved, I love now, now we've got to the crux of it. That, that is the answer I was looking for. Okay, good, good, good. <laughs> or one that actually, res- let's put it a different way. It resonates with me. That answer resonates with me much more than um, than other things. And I think that's what you're saying, you know, and I see that with younger people. We, we say we say that a lot. <laughs> I 
as, as I advance in my years, uh, as we all do, we have no choice yet. Time doesn't walk backwards. Um, we think about younger people coming up and they all seem to be very driven by purpose. And I want to come back to you, Lisa Lotta. Have you seen that in the in the way that you've worked with the younger generations coming up to be future leaders, future adults, future decision makers? Have you seen that they're all driven more by purpose than paycheck? I must say we have been in a situation where there's been a huge talent shortage and we have been at the very top of the Maslow's hierarchy of needs with self-actualization, the great uh, reflection, the great resignation, silent quitting. Unfortunately, the future is uh, not looking as glamorous. You know, we have a recession looming and people have stopped hiring. The construction business has stopped. The housing market has stopped. So, uh, you know, beggars can't always be choosers, unfortunately. What we can hope that is this sense of purpose, of meaning, it's going to stay within them and they will stay passionate and they will stay insisting uh, on a brighter future, uh, both for their generation and the next and the next generation. Uh, but it will be harder. Yeah, yeah. It, it's sad, but I can I'm see sorry. It, that I'm it's sorry. true. Should I say something more cheerful? <laughs> no, no. I mean, it's best to be honest. I mean, the, the thing with your yeah. type of work and anybody's type of work is that we don't have a choice in the situation of the time that we're born into. And for all sorts of reasons that are outside of our control. I, I want to say a, a happy thing. <laughs> and, that, I think, and that comes back to our, our last presenter because he was talking about the technology and something that I'm really looking at there is, you know, uh, who is actually coding, who is programming, do they sit on the power of society? If they do, there are good news because that is being democratized as we speak. So very soon, you and I, we can ask for programs. I want a program that has to do this and that. So it's only not only going to be the, the technical guys who can do it, we can all do it. And I'm sure that's going to explode creativity. Uh, so so there are really interesting uh, creative uh, technological platforms coming. For instance, DALI as well is really interesting in terms of design and housing uh, that you can start uh, saying, oh, I want a house in this color and it should be a little bit like this artist and please give me some suggestions. So you don't have to be the best person at drawing any longer or you don't have to be the most creative person by posing the good questions to what sort of society you want. You will actually be given so much inspiration. So hopefully uh, at that point we will see uh, some really nice developments. Well, thank you for bringing it back to technology. And you've asked a question that's so close to my heart, posing the good questions, because I think if we can at least develop ourselves or our children or you know, to ask good questions, that's really at the heart of everything. Kenny, you were about to say something. No, no, I was just smiling because uh, one of the partners that we are soon to be onboarding in Tomorrow Street does exactly what Lisa was talking about, right? So it's, it's a piece of technology that allows a doctor or anyone to think, I need an app that can do this and and that helps them create an app in a very easy way. So I'm smiling because they're set to come to Luxembourg and be part of the Luxembourg ecosystem. Um, so that, that's why I was smiling away uh, as uh, Lisa was talking. Futurist, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Everybody is in a different way. And you must, I mean, you live in a space, Kenny, where you're thinking about digital society all the time. Yeah. What have you observed? I mean, you've been with Vodafone a long time. What have you observed and the changes you've observed in that career 
Yeah, I mean, I have been a long time, despite <laughs> my youthful looks. Uh, yes, you look it's, very, it's been, very young. It's been a long time. I mean, in in the early days when I was there, it was it was about connectivity, right? You start with making sure you know everyone has access to be able to communicate. Um, but really, I've been fortunate that as I came into Tomorrow Street, um, you know, I. Again, come back to Vodafone, looking at being able to offer a whole new set of digital services. So we get the chance to look at, you know, different technologies that can help doctors or people in the health industry, can help people who manage supply chains, um, you know, it can help education. Um, but there's many, many areas we look at. Cybersecurity, of course, back to the slightly gloomy things we have to face with. Um, you know, it's, it's a little bit frightening what's possible, but you've got technology out there that can help make, you know, company safe and help people feel safe. And so we're lucky we get to look at uh, all these different technologies, um, as I said, that either help advance the way we live or protect us and protect our businesses. And as Lisa Lotte said, there's a talent shortage as well. Yeah. Do you see that in the industry coming up? Do you see, well, tell us who you do see, who is coming in with the these younger innovative companies that you onboard? In terms of the types of companies that you... In terms of the people, I mean, pe- okay, yeah, let me throw out an idea. Yeah. Are they mostly male? Uh, yes. <laughs> yes, right. which is something... I'm going to come back to Arch Summit. You can't I know, go. No, but I know you mentioned lots of women. Exactly. And so I know you mentioned lots of women, yeah. but I know also that there's not enough women in the tech world. Yeah, yet. you're absolutely right. Uh, and one of, uh, again, one of our speakers will be uh, Serpo Timuru, who is the a CEO, one of the CEOs in, in Vodafone. She's going to be talking about that. Uh, they have a change the face campaign, which is all about having more diversity, more equality in the tech world. Um, so it's a really important initiatives and they're going to be launching more initiatives at Arch uh, as well on exactly this problem. And you've got Rana, of course, the, the Egyptian-American lady yeah. who's a girl decoded author yeah. and uh, very famous MIT alumni, etc., etc. So she'll she'll be a wonderful speaker as well. Turning back to you, Carol, tell us about the, the people, the students that you've taught and seen and grow and what you feel about our future because I want to, I would like to um, end on a more positive note um, and again going back to what Lisa Lotta said which is there is a talent shortage. Tell us about the talent that you see in Foster. Yeah. Well I don't think there's a talent shortage in a way I mean maybe there are less people on the market that are immediately usable you know because companies usually need people you know that are functioning actually in their system and in their organization and sometimes they are just not fitting in or you know they request maybe different conditions which the company is not able to provide or you know willing to offer um, so my students I, I don't think they are lacking talent at all you know <laughs> maybe they are not exactly fitting the needs of 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 the companies already you know when they when they are you know finished with their studies so I'm wondering if the, the organizations shouldn't you know consider changing and adapt actually to the talent uh, of the people because people are not less talented or less intelligent or whatever as they have been before you know it's just not matching completely and I did indeed I see uh, very in a very practical way you know if you have like uh, this international community which comes to Luxembourg obviously it's a platform for them to operate on on, on the European uh, uh, territory I mean they speak English you know so if they have to operate here I mean they have the language uh, barriers uh, which kind of is, is big big issue you know so they can't really communicate on construction sites where there are mainly people that speak French or eventually German you know so there are obstacles in, and, and then you can say okay there's a lack of talent or you know or, or they kind of are trained in a different way to, to operate in a different um, way in, in terms of designing also um, but you know 
uh, companies, uh, institutions, I mean, whether they are public or private, they need actually to address uh, the idea of, of li lifelong learning, you know, integration and uh, opening up. I mean, and it comes all down to the values in the end, you know, because technology for me is, is a huge issue. I mean, especially in architecture, it's really, uh, I mean, so much based on technology. But at the same time, it's just a way, it's a mean, you know, before you need to have the purpose, at least, you know, I, I would say really a common set of values to function together. So and how, uh, um, what communities do we, do we want to address? You know, is it really, you know, the, the old European, uh, you know, strum or do we want to integrate maybe, you know, other types of communities as well? And how do we manage to reach out and how do we manage to integrate and to actually mix? And, uh, you know, I think that's that's the big challenge. Yeah. I really like what you're talking about there and the fact that we have to match the, the companies have to come towards the students and perhaps the education system has to kind of find a way to integrate more with companies, which some people do quite successfully, but we can have it more and more. That I want to give the last word to you, Lisa Lotta, in Denmark, joining us from Copenhagen. Uh, what is your final word before you join us in person next week in Luxembourg? What's my final word? I was I was thinking about the precision age and housing, actually. Uh, so, for instance, we should all have our own individualist indoor climates, uh, not too cold and not too warm and not giving each other the COVID. And then we could turn off the heat wherever we are not in these houses and hall. So I think we're looking into a future where we have to be very clear on what is actually providing value and what is useless. Why should we have cars parked for 90% of the time rather than uh, mobility, you know? So, so really uh, getting into that. And I think if people start having that mindset of where do we actually have an investment in the future that uh, is getting the best out of people and the planet rather than pushing us like lemons, then I think we start all to speak the same language and that's going to be really cool. Well, to all of my guests today, Lisa Lotte in Copenhagen, Kenny from near Glasgow in Scotland, now resident of Luxembourg, to Carole and to Sasha, of course, you've been listening. Thank there. you. Thank you all. And if you want Join me on Wednesday next week in Luxembourg. You know, I'll be very happy to uh, Absolutely. Meet. Wednesday next week in Luxembourg at the British Chamber of Commerce, you'll be giving your talk there and we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Thank you all so much for your time. To all my dear listeners from wherever in the world you're listening from, I hope we've given you some food for thought for your weekend walk or cycle or anything that gets you out in the outdoors and now saves the government, according to Lisa Lotta, uh, a couple of yours in terms of health and various other things. Um, exactly. And actually in Finland, they have found out that if you look at green stuff, I mean, trees and forests, it's even better. Oh, absolutely. And they've finally figured out that if you put a few plants in hospitals, it makes you better quicker as well. So there's exactly. so much, which is another reason why I don't want the forests in Luxembourg to disappear anytime soon, because they're just my glorious space for me and my dog at the weekends. I wish you all a fantastic weekend. Thank you. Thanks. The Lisa Burke Show. Thank you.